0: Before we get started with this week's show, there's a couple things I wanted to address, Uh, the first of which is, if you've listened to the show from the beginning, you've probably heard me talk a couple of times about the man who I uh, typically credit with getting me into the subject of Bigfoot, Don Marchand. Uh, I just wanted to dedicate this week's show to Don. He passed away this past week, and uh, as the guy that kind of uh, helped me gain some sort of interest in Bigfoot. I just thought it would be fitting to give him a mention at the start of this week's show. Don was an awesome guy and a really good friend of mine. So uh, Don, here's to you. And this week's show is in Don's memory. Uh, on a happier side of things, the other thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that this week we hit uh, 100,000 downloads on What? which I think for I, I probably can safely speak for Mark and I both when I say that neither of us ever expected there to be more than two people listening per episode, uh, let alone the uh, two to three thousand that we typically get per episode, which if you're anywhere acquainted with uh, podcast statistics, you'll probably know that's not a great deal. But considering we're just two guys that sit down and kind of blab about Bigfoot to each other, uh, it's astonishing for us. So if you're a listener to the show, thank you so much for listening. And for checking us out every week, and uh, I think that does it. So let's listen to this week's show. Saswa is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswat.com. This is Saswa, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matske. Hello there. And as I said, this is a podcast about the subject of Bigfoot which, to the surprise of many, is a possible uh, creature, a, a hair-covered, possibly ape-like creature that lives in America. And much to the shock of many, there are multiple creatures, not just one. This is something I've been dealing with, Mark. Um, I don't know if you've listened to any of the radio interviews I've been doing for the Minerva Monster movie, but people... <laughs> People are astonished that there are are more than one Bigfoot. They think there's like one lone Bigfoot, and he's he's just getting around. I guess that's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, you
1: know he's just uh, he's been around for a while too. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that would mean.
0: So, yep. um, you just returned from a trip, and I want you to talk about it because it's uh, relevant to the show.
1: Yeah, we had the opportunity to go to South Carolina. Uh, about a week ago, and we worked out our travel itinerary on the way down so that we could stop in uh, Bishopville, South Carolina, which some listeners to this program are probably aware that Bishopville is home base to the Lizard Man, Mm. uh, popularized in the 90s, and uh, Lyle Blackburn has written an excellent book on the Lizard Man covering all the bases as far as... uh, Lizard Man reports. So, what we did is uh, did a little internet search to see if there was anything at all to do with Lizard Man today in Bishopville. And to my surprise, uh, there actually is a small corner of the South Carolina Cotton Museum in Bishopville dedicated to the Lizard Man and uh, the reports surrounding it. So, uh, we took a little side trip to Bishopville and uh, found the Cotton Museum. Now, the thing about Bishopville is that it is sort of the quintessential small-town south. Mm -hmm. And so anybody who's ever been down there probably can envision what Bishopville is like. It has its own little downtown uh, all to itself, set off quite a ways at this point from the major expressway, but um, you can definitely see... Sort of the the visuals, the the palmettos, the palm trees. Uh, most of the buildings are built pretty low to the ground, and uh, just an unassuming place. You get to the the cotton museum, and uh, people are very very happy to talk to you about lizard man. <laughs> I think that um, that may in fact be at this point a major draw to the cotton museum is the fact that there is lizard man merchandise and a a few scattered uh, artifacts from the Lizard Man's past. Uh, We talked to a young man named Tim, who uh, actually was from western Pennsylvania and knew all about Youngstown and other Ohio locations, which is kind of cool in Mm -hmm. itself. And we told him why we were there, and so uh, he showed us the various Lizard Man stuff that they had on hand uh, for your purchase, including T-shirts and little... Plush lizard men, and uh, and um, dried beans from the bean field, which the lizard man allegedly crawled out of in little uh, Ziploc bags. Oh, that's that's awesome! Get, you could purchase. And so while we were talking to him, he said, "Well, hey, uh, while you're here, you might as well go look at the uh, the display case that's over there." And I didn't. I had no idea that that was coming. So that was sort of a geek out moment for me. Um, yeah, and Andy. My son uh, could tell you I was a little excited at that point. So it was very unassuming, just like the town itself. But just one small glass display case. Hmm. And in that display case were a number of things. Um, A couple just printed out um, accounts, uh, you know, Lizard Man sightings people had had, and describing a little bit the the legend of the Lizard Man as it stands now, along with all the various T-shirt designs that uh, the Cotton Museum has come up with, and, and hats that they have for sale. Most interesting, though, is in the bottom of the case, there are two track casts that allegedly are um, casts from the Lizard Man's print, and I sent you, Seth, uh, uh, one picture of those, I believe, yeah. and you made, you made the comment that they look a lot like alligator tracks, which... They, in fact, do. <laughs> it's Almost that, identical,
0: uh, in fact. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, you know, uh, <laughs> while it was pretty interesting and very cool to see, and, again, they had the, the beans from the bean field sort of scattered among the track casts. Um, I definitely got the, the impression that Lizard Man, in as, as small a, a, a demographic as that might be of aficionados of the subject, is a major draw. Uh, for the Cotton Museum, and um, they don't downplay that at all. In fact, they have welcomed it with open arms because I think it increases their foot traffic through the rest of the museum.
0: Absolutely, it, yeah, and and it, it's, it's, it's
1: a, good for that.
0: Yeah, it's a great it's a great analogy too for for just your average small town needing to embrace their local folklore and. We're seeing that with Minerva, with the Minerva Monster movie. I've, I've, I really think at most towns that they have a monster that was famous at any point in history, embrace it because it. There's an audience out there that wants to participate in this and wants to learn about it. And I don't know. I think it's great. I think it's great. Yeah. Anytime we can boost a uh, small community's economy, it's great. It is.
1: And the uh, the one other reference to lizard man that we saw was coming into town off of us 20 there is a restaurant on uh, the right hand side of the road and there is a lizard man on their sign uh it's like a i want to say a burger and wings type place yeah i think and I've so seen the that t- yeah the two brothers or, or the two family members who own it are pictured on one side and the lizard man is on the other so we got the obligatory picture in front of that <laughs> sign as well that's great yeah Um, Yeah. Oh, and I would also say if you have an interest in that, definitely look up South Carolina Cotton Museum online. They have a nice little site. It explains who they are and what they do. And there's links to their gift shop. If you want to pick up a skateboard swamp bumper sticker, they've got those and lots of other cool stuff. And thanks again to Tim, who very kindly showed us around.
0: Awesome. All right, um, let's talk about habituations, which is our topic for this episode. First thought was a hunter in a ghillie suit on his wooded Midland property. I got to confront this guy. You know, I was a little nervous. He was all huge like a basketball player mixed with a wrestler, football-type size. Padilla believes what he thought was a hunter is Bigfoot. He started getting blurry. He started getting fuzzy. I see some antlers starting to evolve. Boom! He turned around. And it gave me a vision of a white deer's tail. Two hooves jump away from me, try and make me forget what i seen. Since the spiritual Bigfoot encounter years ago, Padilla has been leaving pizza boxes in the woods as bait. He peeled the liner out. Bigfoot enthusiast Matthew Smith is taking a harder look at the boxes that Padilla says Sasquatch has handled. Just rolling them up, kind of making it look like a.
1: Fish habituation fish. is, uh, by definition, you know, a, a type of research into the Bigfoot phenomena where it's not you going out to find the creature, but for reasons known only to the creatures, they've decided to come around where you live, and. As we talk through some of these cases tonight, I think what you'll see is there's a number of patterns that emerge in almost all of these cases, which lends itself to a couple different interpretations. I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. I'm relying on the the research of a couple people in talking about habituation cases. One is Christopher Knoll, and the book that I'm referencing a lot is Impossible Visits. Um, There's also some work by Tom Burnett, and Rob Riggs, a big uh, book simply entitled Bigfoot Exploring the Myth and Discovering the Truth. And so the best way to go about this, I think, is to get into some of the cases uh, that Noel talks about in his book and maybe try and and link those back to some reports, uh, some classic reports uh, of habituation cases, you know, if if there are such a thing. So... um, Noel starts off his book talking about a case, and this is sort of the epitome of a habituation-type experience. In 2005, he made contact with someone, uh, a young lady in Kentucky, uh, who reported that a young female Sasquatch was making repeated visits uh, to their home, um, to the backwoods, and the way that this all began was seeing this creature at a distance And the woman of the house would call out to it in a high, sort of sing-songy voice. And I don't recall what exactly she said. But she would do this when she saw the creature. And during the daylight hours, it would never approach or come very close. But what she started to do is uh, feed this creature. And she would take a paper plate with some pancakes and syrup out to the edge of the property where the deep forest really began. And what started to happen very consistently is within 20 or 30 minutes of leaving the uh, plate of food and going back to her house, um, this young Sasquatch would come out and take the paper plate and sit down and eat the pancakes and then go back into the forest. And evidently the BFRO was involved in this case ultimately um, using some type of a thermal imager or or other uh, device to get some video footage of this, and that allegedly exists, although I don't believe I've seen that anywhere. But that gives you a sense of some of the, the facets to a habituation case. It's generally in a place that is adjacent to a heavily wooded area, and it has to do with interaction between the creature and the human beings who live there. Some of the other elements of that we'll get into in these other cases, but that those are sort of the uh, non-negotiables, if you will, is you have to live in the right place, in a remote enough place, and the, the other ingredient to that is there's some sort of interaction that's going to develop.
0: Right. And this whole thing originated with the uh, primates uh, study of Jane Goodall, right? Correct. Okay. So, and her whole thing, I'm looking at her site right now, actually, janegoodall.org, and where it says, what is habituation? They say, uh, habituate is to accustom by frequent repetition or prolonged exposure. And then it kind of wraps up and says, uh, in animal behavior studies, habituation specifically refers to the process of getting animals used to people. So here, um, let me... Uh, I know we're going to go through some. You've you've actually got kind of cases to to talk about and stuff like that. And I'm sure I can talk a little bit about a couple. But I want to say I'm again, as with the skunk ape, I'm typically pretty skeptical of a lot of these habituation cases. Not all of them, because I think what some people call habituation, I would just call an ongoing kind of you know scenario. Um, but I was trying to think of the word that I was looking for when someone has to be special. When someone seeks constant uh, recognition for their uniqueness and they want everyone to know that they're a, a special snowflake. And, and you see this in the UFO community as well um, because the people that claim to have you know interaction with alien beings from above, they they're, it's the same type of thing. And it's narcissism. It's like straight up uh, narcissism, NPD, as it's called. Uh, which is personality narcissistic personality disorder is a long term mental health condition uh, causes you to think you are more important than other people. You need to be the a center of attention and be admired by others. And this is an ongoing thing I see with <clears throat> a lot of the people that have these habituation cases. Is they want everyone to know that hey, I got Bigfoots on my property. They're coming up. They're hanging out at my house. We're we're drinking a beer on the back porch. Um, you know, sometimes they come inside, we play pool, and uh, then, you know, they take me back to their 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 Wookiee jungle in the evening, yeah, and I hang okay. out in the treehouse 9/11. with them. 11th. I'm here at my gifting stump. Today is Donut
1: Day. That's all I brought today. Oh, I got the Mighty Thor with me. My friend John, so I do have somebody with me, so I'm not exactly sure... How this video will turn out, but we're going to do it anyway.
0: I mean, would you agree? Like, isn't this, this, this goes on constantly.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to, I think, first of all, there's probably a distinction that can be made between Goodall and some of these cases in that Goodall went out with the intention of inserting herself into their environment and earning their trust, Mm -hmm. which she did. Um, In some of these cases, I don't think the people involved went looking as much as they just happened to live in a place where weird stuff started happening. And it seems like a a feature of many of these is that you've got a family unit involved and there's generally one person who hates what's going on, can't stand it. You've got other family members who are kind of interested and into it and are trying to Um, you know, communicate and and foster some type of relationship with the creatures. Mm. So I think, at least in Noel's book, he talks to people who are grounded in where they are. I mean, they're living in these places. They haven't gone out to commune with Bigfoot. Um, They're just, they live in a place, they've bought a home, or they've lived there for, you know, decades, and for whatever reason, these things are starting to happen. So I guess I would... I would draw a line between someone who says I can go out to a place and uh, guarantee that you will have some type of interaction, versus somebody who's just inconveniently uh, has their their house in a place that um, you know something's knocking against the wall right. or making vocalizations
0: or throwing rocks at your house. Right, because when we get into that, then then we have. Uh, I mean, there's that situation is is very common, and and it's been common for for decades before we were even calling it habituation. Back to even, I mean, obviously the Minerva Monster case, uh, Minerva Monster, Facebook.com/slash Minerva Monster. Check it out. Um, it's a it, it's it almost reads like an early habituation case because it's this ongoing situation for about four years in this one location. Involving this one specific family, I mean there were other sightings, obviously, but a lot of the activity centered around the Caton's house,
1: yeah, so it becomes a feature just of location mm-hmm. I think, and in what we know about that case, i mean they the Caton family paid a price uh, for going public with that story, yeah and uh, there there's certainly a situation where you know they you know, the whole thing was.
0: Inconvenient to say the least, right? Um, so well, let's and they even get fed some... it. By the way, they even I don't know if I've mentioned that. Okay, before. they did. Yeah, no, you haven't. Evelyn would leave scraps out, and I think that was on yeah. on the suggestion of the sheriff uh, for them to actually feed the the creature.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, that is extremely intriguing that you would say that because in almost all of the cases that I looked at, that is a feature mm-hmm. where the uh, In the one that we already heard from Kentucky and down the list, the um, interactions, when they go in the direction of feeding the creatures, many interesting things start to happen. Uh, Some of them predictable and some of them um, maybe not so predictable, or maybe they're predictable in the sense that if someone's feeding you and they stop, you don't like that too much, you know, humans or non-humans, either way. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, that's amazing. To, what? What do you know? What they, you know, what she said them? I with? think
0: it was, you know, just table scraps and and that kind of thing. And they would actually take it out and throw it down in the pit in the strip pit, and the and hmm. that was the. There's kind of this pit behind their house, right behind their house, and they would see this creature come down and root around down there and take the food and whatever they put out would be taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. So here's in Noel's book, he talks about five different families and I'm just going to sketch this real quick so that we can see the overlap and where things are in common and what not so much. Um, The first family that he talks about is in North Carolina, and I have another North Carolina situation to talk about as well. Um, This had been going on for about five years. The husband in this family hates what's going on. He sort of wavers between anger and denial that it's happening. Um, The 22-year-old son and the mom wanted to learn more. And in their situation, there's a uh, thick forest surrounding their home and a vast swamp that stretches uh, seventy two miles to the northeast. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So um you talk about habitat and a place for them to be, uh that's by far the biggest one in these cases that I've looked at. Yeah. One of the things that was a real standout in this case is the imitation of sounds. And as you'll hear as we move through this, if these situations are indeed legitimate, this is one of the, the elements that seems to be, across the board, something that eventually happens, which is that these creatures start to imitate the sounds that they hear coming from a human home. Anything from pet sounds to uh, simple words like a child saying, Mom or the sound of a mom calling out to a child. Eventually, if these creatures hang around long enough and get close enough, they try to imitate the sounds that they hear. And making sure that the that the people are within earshot, and, and what that means, you know, at the very least, it suggests some reach towards uh, communication. In the case of this North Carolina family, it seemed like a lot of things happened when young children were outside, almost as if they felt... Comfortable and, and not threatened whatsoever by children being out there. And it was more likely that they would come closer uh, to the family's home when the children were playing outside and things like that. Okay. In a case from Oklahoma, there was a Native American woman in her early 40s, a medically retired police detective. And once again, the feature of uh, her experience was the imitation of sounds, uh, knocks on the house, sometimes escalating into what sounded like, you know, these creatures just running towards their towards the uh, home and slamming into it at full speed. Mm-hmm. Um, the the interesting distinction here was the sighting of what children in that household called uh, monkey kids that they saw monkey kids sort of uh, towards the back of the property, things like this. And this is a pretty long-term interaction. Uh, we're talking about 16 years wow. of consistent activity. And it was this uh, woman's opinion that these creatures would travel through that area uh, a couple times a week. She did feed them. Um, I'm not. I don't recall what she fed, but she would leave out food on a like a picnic table outside of the house, and that would be taken. And uh, evidently, she did record some audio chatter which she put into the hands of researchers and other people Um, but when she would try to get video footage of them they they proved to be extremely elusive and that too is a resounding reoccurring theme in these habituation cases is any attempt to get them on film is usually thwarted or the best you can do is uh, like a shadowy shape in the tree line right but but nothing clear or definitive right. to speak
0: of, which sounds like uh, again an analogy for the whole subject. Sure does. It truly oh. does. Yes. Sixteenth part three. This is around the corner from my habituation site, and this is just a little creek
1: that runs off the river. Now the reason I'm taking this video is because i've gotten some real good pictures from right here before even though i don't have a lot of interaction that's probably because that's what i choose not necessarily because they're not around here because uh, you know this is a a completely different direction but recently uh, thanks to coast to coast am, am uh, a book and a, I think a DVD, there's certainly YouTube stuff, is uh, is A Hundred Bigfoot Nights. Have you heard of this?
0: No. Uh, it sounds, okay. It sounds like one of those uh, romance, Bigfoot romance, quote unquote romance novels. That show what?
1: up in your Amazon yeah. search feed? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah it, <laughs> yeah, it sort of does, doesn't it? Yeah, it and, really does. Um, And that, too, is uh, purportedly, it it fits all of the markers of these type of cases, really. Um, Approaching the the home, rock throwing, strange vocalizations, fleeting glimpses of creatures. If you go on YouTube and look up 100 Bigfoot Nights, (laughs) you see, um, you know, some blob-squatchy-type video surveillance footage and... um, I'm not sure how much orbs factor in, but I think there might be some orbs, but let's just pass that by quickly. And, but I say that because that, that continues, you know, these type of stories continue to come out and make a splash Mm -hmm. in uh, the consciousness, you know, that we bought this house and we, in their case, we bought this dream home, we got it cheap, and now we think we know why because um, Bigfoot comes around. Sure. And so.
0: Sure. And, and I just have to, thrown a mention of this here, because I know I've heard him say it before, but I don't think the NAWAC would be that averse to, to saying that what the situation in Area X is, is similar to a habituation scenario. I mean, it's not that, because it's not like, I don't think they're in there feeding them and you know, um, taking them uh, peanut butter uh, and trying to choke the you know local raccoon population out. But, mm-hmm. um... To, it's it's a similar situation in that they they go into this one locale and they are there for x amount of months and this has been going on for years so it's a uh, and and it seems like it's almost I don't know if this is true but it almost seems at times as if the the every year there's some sort of not maybe not frequent or more frequent activity but some new bit of information learned out of there so I, I yeah. almost would say that that is kind of a habituation
1: sure well and I have
0: to say that
1: if these are real creatures then it just makes sense that they would kind of settle on a region yeah I most most animals do I mean humans do for that matter we tend to stay within a a certain circumscribed area and 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 so if these are creatures living in a habitat then yeah of course I mean they're going to Find a place that appeals to them, suits their needs, uh, provides adequate cover. So, it, you know, I, I think that that what you say is, is true. I think it would fall into this category.
0: Right. All right, Mark. Um, I'm sure you have extensive notes, more more to say about habituation. But let's let's start to wrap up and kind of give us your final take on habituations.
1: Sure. Well, maybe I just said it in a way. <laughs> But it is, it's it's the idea that, look, if these things are real, then they're going to have to live somewhere, and they're going to have to locate them themselves in a place that's advantageous to them. Right. And as we continue to, you know, and I, I guess I would fall into this category, you know, I would prefer to live somewhere kind of set off from uh, a busy city, you know, kind of the edge of the... Wilderness-type idea has a lot of appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that's what you want and that's what you—that's the situation you live in, there are certain trade-offs with that, uh, one of which is wildlife is a lot more likely to show up on your porch than if you live in a small town or th- certainly a city. So these would be the places where you would have a type of interaction with what's ever out there. I mean, I just saw on Facebook today a video of a, a grizzly bear uh, dragging off a moose in somebody's um, in somebody's driveway, you know. And if you live in locations where there's large game, then, you know, that stuff's going to happen once in a while. Mm-hmm. So to me, um, I think the helpful distinction is going out looking to habituate seems to be... A lot more difficult of a proposition than simply living in a place where for whatever mysterious reason interactions with the unknown creature start to happen you yeah. know one it's a matter of intention
0: I think <laughs> Join the conversation at facebook.com slash Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breeds love Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswattmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes.